When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, guys? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Um, today, I am joined by Kat Gerasadi. Kat is a she's a coach, she's a, a legal consultant, and also the host of the Where Truth Lies podcast. Um, and Kat, before we, first of all, welcome. Thanks. Um, and secondly, I'd love for you to kind of just dive into a, a little bit about like what you kind of work on um, in terms of your coaching and and the different areas that you really focus in on before we kind of transition across into kind of the main two topics I want to touch on yeah. in today's chat. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of coaching, I do it a little differently. I look for what's called psychological defence mechanisms and basically I work to reduce these. These are the things that make us resistant to our feelings. So a normal coaching session will be identifying um, body movements. For example, if someone tenses up, I know they're having anxiety about a topic, so we'll regulate that anxiety. So yeah, it's really working to break down those defences, which allows them to feel and yeah, going from there. And what... Yeah, I guess pushed you in the direction of wanting to pursue that kind of pathway in terms of helping people with that and yeah. and I guess even building up the skill set to be able to to notice these type of things and, and yeah. work through them. Yeah, good question. I guess you could say I was always sensitive. Um, I don't really believe in that. I think it's just it just means awareness. Mm-hmm. So like favourite pastime is to analyse people's behaviour. <laughs> And I was always like that since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I I always sort of had that capacity and then um, did law and realised that I really wanted to do something fulfilling and that led to coaching. What part of the the law side of things do you think was missing? Was it the fact that it was so structured and there was this kind of like... I mean, I don't know, I could be completely wrong, but was, was it things along the lines of the fact that it was so structured, this kind of one real pathway, everything's kind of already written and there's no real ability, I guess, to, to kind of create your own pathway in, oh in that gosh. industry? Yeah. yeah, you nailed it. Like it's just, I mean, some people really love the structure, mm-hmm. but I'm really creative and like like when I was working in law firms, like I said, I'd just be like analysing the dynamics and I'd be like, oh no, I don't think he's happy and that guy needs to drink more water. You know, like that's where my brain was. And yeah, really structured. um, And unless you're doing sort of human rights law, not the most fulfilling um, career for me. Yeah. And then, so how long were you in that industry before you decided enough's enough and going to try and follow something you're more passionate about? Um, Five years. Yeah, five years. Five years. Yeah. And then so after that you make the decision to, I guess, try something that you're a bit more passionate about. What was the the steps you kind of needed to take to move in that, oh my that direction? Yeah. Well, the first is like letting go of other people's expectations. Mm. 
I had this idea that I was going to be like this boss babe from Suits, you know, and <laughs> that just wasn't the life that yeah. I wanted. Um, so it was like, Cat, it's okay that mm. you don't want to be a lawyer. That took like two yeah. years. And then, um, and then it was just step by step, like really a, a mindset and heart shift. Yeah. That uh, that decision that you just spoke on then in terms of letting go of the expectations, probably not only for yourself but more so for other people as well. I think um, a lot of people that are listening have probably had uh, a period in their time where they've had to make a decision along those lines, whether it's stepping away from a job or whether it's you know disassociating yourself with someone yeah. that you've hung out with for a long time or whether it's family. Um, what are some ways that, that people can kind of go through that process and, and I guess a bit of a some thought processes around how to approach that because I feel like so many people are stuck in maybe a job they don't enjoy, they're stuck in potentially even a relationship that they don't enjoy too much. Um, or, you know, I th- the thing that you see so often is people following like a career path which is almost expected from family members or from where they think that their friends are going or the pathway that might look like it's going to make the most money or what the trend is and it's just not something that people are passionate about. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's really important to um, start with thinking about like being discerning. So by discerning, I mean you've got to say, is this an impulsive whim? Do I know myself well enough to know that this is um, authentic and fulfilling? Because it's so easy to fall into like follow your dreams, but there's also a practical element, Mm. right? Um, And I fell into that. I literally got on a plane to Portugal during the pandemic. I was like, I'm going to start my online business. It's going to be so easy, like all the manifesting stuff. And then I, the realities of life really hit me hard. So being practical and then, and then when you made your decision and you know, it's the right one, owning that that's it. Some people are going to be uncomfortable. Some people aren't going to be supportive and really being okay with that. And that comes from self-trust. When it is, um, I, I know Gary V speaks on this a lot yeah, in terms of just coming back again to particularly the career path choice that maybe is expected, as you kind of said, um, whether it is from family or friends or um, you know, even for people who have gone to uni, for example, and done four or five years, whatever it may be, you know, a certain degree or whatever it is, and then they decide that it's not exactly what they want to do. Yeah. But the expectation is to follow that pathway because you've just spent this time doing it and whether you or your family is kind of paid for it, whatever it may be. But um, is there certain steps that people should take first? Like I think, you know, you hear all the time now that like, you know, follow your passion. If you don't enjoy your job, then do what you you enjoy and, and, and step away from it. But in reality, for people that may not be financially set up in a way that they can just step away from a full-time job where they are get, earning a consistent salary yeah. and then just to start following their their passion mm. it d- doesn't exactly work for everyone so is there any bits of advice i guess you could give to for people who are in that same boat yeah definitely i think um like i said being discerning and then also understanding that suffering's a part of life mm-hmm. so whatever decision you make is going to be potentially really difficult and knowing that maybe it means like working and starting that thing on the side yeah um which I was not good at. I wanted to go from like zero to a thousand straight away. So knowing um, it's going to take a long time. Um, My parents might be unhappy about this, but I really have to own that I'm an individual with agency and it is my birthright to make decisions about what I will and will not do with my life. 100%. And I would imagine that 
just on that topic of the financial side of things as well, something that I see and, and that I would imagine, you know, I've been quite fortunate that as soon as I finished school, I kind of went and did my own thing anyway and, awesome. and tried to build my own um, business and build my own kind of independence. And before that, fucking trust me, I was useless at home. Like I did <laughs> absolutely fuck all um, and, and was not someone who was kind of like thinking too much about career to be honest like I was more I was thinking of career but it was more so along the lines of playing sport it was nothing to do with setting myself up financially or or learning life skills that you would that I well and truly needed when I did move away Mm -hmm. but so on that side of things I was very fortunate that right from the start I was putting in kind of the stepping stones or the building blocks so that I didn't need anyone else's kind of support I guess you could say to follow what I wanted to do but there are a lot of people that aren't in that position particularly if you're someone who you know, may have been, I don't know, nurtured is the right way to put it, but someone who maybe has had their backing or something to be able to do things that you enjoy but not having to put too much thought to the financial side of things or whatever it may be. So I'm assuming one of the most important steps is to actually have some form of independence. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. As soon as possible. Yeah, that's really the the thing, isn't it? Because especially being a uni student, you're so dependent on your parents, like especially if you're studying something like law or medicine, yeah. like you can't get through it without mm-hmm. your parents' support or living at home. Um, that's why, if I'm being honest, yeah, I have a law degree, but <laughs> I really wish I just went straight into pursuing my own thing. So independence, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So for the person that is listening that um, we'll use the example again of uni who's gone through, say, a four-year degree and realised at the end of it that it's not what they want to pursue. Mm-hmm. And I think that's completely fine. But I also understand how that – I haven't been in that position, but I feel like it would be super difficult to know that you've – I'm not going to say wasted, but um, you've spent the previous however many years putting your time, effort, money, life towards something and then it's not what you want. Yeah. And – Again, referring back to Gary Vee, something that he talks about a lot, I think, is how people feel like, particularly at an early age, let's say early 20s, that if you're not set up by, say, 25, then you're pretty much fucked, yeah. which is which couldn't be further from so the truth stupid. because we have such a long period of time to be able to, to build our careers and, and financial um, set, ourselves, set ourselves up financially and whatnot. But um, is that something that you see quite often people struggling to then make that decision or feeling like that they need to keep pursuing something that they've already been doing for a certain period of time? Absolutely. It's so tied up in self-esteem. Like I had all these judgments about people who didn't want to pursue like something like law or medicine, but there's an idea, right? What, what thought conjures up when you say I'm like, I'm a doctor or I'm a lawyer. Like you're like, Oh, intelligent, like successful, already showing signs of success so people's self-esteem is externalized into these career paths and it becomes a part of them it becomes like syntonic identity yeah and they can't leave it because it's like a part of themselves is dying Mm. and i went through that it's like it was a literal death of like what i thought my life would look like so i think this comes back to like say in a coaching environment what we would do is they, they might come to you and be like, I don't know what to do with my career, right? Or I want to um, I want to quit and do this. But before we even talk about life direction and career, it's the question is what defence mechanisms do you have right now in your psyche that are preventing you from being like a healthy, integrated person? And we start from there. 
Like, I don't know if you get that with PT, but someone might come in with one goal and you identify that you've actually got to work on it, like... Oh, 100% of the time. Like, at the surface level, it seems like, you know, A, B or C, but particularly it's it's almost always... Yeah. ...something else, stemming from something else that's underlying. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I try and dig down to this with clients, particularly when I'm working with someone one-on-one and whether it's online or in person, it's like, yes, I understand that you want to get in shape or I understand that you want to have abs or whatever it may be, but like we've got to really dig down to why, yeah. why that is and find out that the true purpose, the root purpose of why they want to achieve that goal. And then once people get that understanding, I feel like everything else is so much, yeah. it's a liberating feeling having that understanding and, and to knowing your, your purpose as to why. So that kind of leads us into one of the topics I wanted to really um, touch on today is is I guess I'd, helping people identify those defense mechanisms and and getting an understanding as to to why they have those and, and what it stemmed from and then I think most importantly is how like once they are identified how we can work through those because I would imagine for some people they go through almost their whole life with these defense mechanisms or or certain aspects that are underlying or in I guess their subconscious that literally determines the path of their life and their their happiness or unhappiness oh my gosh yeah like even down to health right Mm -hmm. and then their kids and then it becomes generational and then it's shit house from there so i'll give you some examples of these psychological defense mechanisms Mm -hmm. because they sound random so one might be um diversifying which means when someone comes in and they start talking about an issue and you know it's like a wound right it's a thing they'll be they'll keep changing the topic and it's not in an obvious way it'll be like they'll acknowledge a question you ask and then they'll sort of keep talking and then you notice you're talking about like their mum's cat and and you're like (laughs) how did that happen divert it to something completely separate so they don't have to Mm -hmm. and they'll do it like you'll identify this a hundred times in the conversation. Mm. So you can only imagine they're literally walking through life like that. Another defence mechanism is um, instead of being angry at other people, they'll turn the anger inwards, which is really regressive. I used to do this. So, for example, instead of I was really uncomfortable being angry at people, especially people I loved, love you, mum and dad, (laughs) and instead of, yeah, being feeling that anger towards them, it would become self-hate but it was like clockwork it wasn't this arbitrary thing it was literally something happened I'm angry and now I'm having thoughts about how I'm like a loser and I'm gonna fit like that like so literally like clockwork so almost what like a a deflection or or uh fear of what um controversy or or something along those lines or conflict or something well you'd think that right but it's actually an incapacity or an intolerance to feeling your emotions. So an intolerance to feeling anger. So you protect yourself from that by doing it inwards and you also protect the people you love. So all these psychological defence mechanisms all come down to an somehow an intolerance to feeling emotion. It's right. incredible. And so I know you've kind of listed a couple already, but are you able to run through, I guess, some of the more common ones that you would see? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and something that interests me probably more so than – or not more so, but like the interesting part for me is like how that comes about. Yeah. Or like what, what could potentially cause that? Is it something which I guess you hear so often with most things that are psychological that it's from when people were children? Is it 
yeah, yeah. be able to kind of dive into that in as much kind of detail as you can, I suppose. Yeah. So the most common one would be defense mechanism, I reckon, would be intellectualizing. Mm-hmm. Again, I was I am ish really guilty of that. Um, so that'll be like you'll say you'll talk to a psychologist or a coach and you can tell them everything that happened. You can say why they did it, the reasons, this, this, that, what you're gonna do, but they haven't expressed or felt a visceral emotion. It hasn't been an emotional experience. Right. So I used to impress my psychologist because I would come there and intellectualize the shit out of everything. And then I still have problems. And it wasn't until um, I worked with someone who practices ISTDP, intensive short-term dynamic therapy, which basically um, he was like, you can intellectualize all you want, but you haven't felt your feelings. Are you able to dumb that right down for me? Because I, I <laughs> definitely need that. So when you say intellectualize, can you give a, um, a practical example of what that may sound like in terms yeah. of a conversation with the psych or whatever yeah, it may sure. be? So say you're like, Kat, are you all right? I heard you were in the ER last night. must mm-hmm. have been rough. Yeah. And I say, yeah, well, my kidneys, um, they had this issue. I identified that when I was sleeping, it really hurt on my side and then – this is what happened. So I went to the doctor and I did all these things and I understand blah, 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 blah. But you were, let's just say your intention was to just check in with how I was feeling, right? Mm-hmm. I haven't expressed how I'm feeling at all. At all. A, a way to express feeling would be like, I feel really sad and I actually like feel it in my chest. Yeah. And like I might look sunk and like it's a somatic experience. Right. So we intellectualize to avoid any form of emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so easy because everyone thinks you're emotionally intelligent. You got it together. So like in a session, straight away you can identify intellectualizing. And I'm assuming something like that, like the um, not just because it kind of, I guess, would resonate with someone who is quite intellectually smart, but like someone that's in a position of like high power, like a CEO or someone who is a, a oh yeah, you know, a high operating um, type person, that would be something that, would be quite common amongst uh, that type of crowd, I would assume. Oh, my gosh. I love that you brought this up because many people say like CEOs or let's just say like um, Mark Zuckerberg or someone Mm -hmm. like that. They almost always are avoidantly attached and that is directly related to an intolerance to feel their emotions and that intolerance makes them very successful in in that type of industry. Um, So... And it sounds like a generalization, but it's just a pattern that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And does that, I'm assuming that would lead to things like poor relationships and and poor family life and stuff like that as well. And it's like darker than you would think. Like it seems like, oh, I must work hard and not see their wife much. No, no, no. There is almost always a pathology with, with people like this. For example, working in law firms, I realized so many of the partners, almost all of them had personality disorders. It was just, that's just what they needed to get where they needed to be. Right. So it's pretty scary when you when you kind of start recognising, OMG, all these weird-ass defence mechanisms, like you said, have determined the course of these people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty scary. So the intellectual one, um, is there other common ones you can kind of touch on? Yeah, so um, one that's um, pretty common is to not even be aware of anything at all um sounds weird but it might you might say oh like hey your mum died let's talk about that 
And they'd be like, yeah, my, my mum died. And they go blank. And if you press for any feelings or – they're not even intellectualising. They're not feeling anxiety. What will happen, Danny, is when someone's using some of those other defence mechanisms that we spoke about, mm-hmm. as we try and break those defences down, and what will happen is feelings will start to rise. And when feelings rise, our body goes into an anxious state. So I'll see that the client is like – clenching their hands or sighing that's a sign that anxiety is in the muscle pathway when anxiety is in the muscle pathway it means that we can keep going and press for those feelings but with this defense mechanism that i was talking about Mm -hmm. um with the just going blank they're not having that experience at all they're not connected to their body there's no anxiety which means it's deeply 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 repressed but it's also very so not feeling any real emotion yeah, not, and not even just emotion. It, I, I guess the word, I should have said this before, would be disassociation. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so for someone listening that maybe doesn't resonate with either of those two um, or, or is just kind of intrigued because I think, you know, the more that I spend time doing personal development and learning more about human behaviour and, and all that type of stuff, which I'm really interested in, it then, as you've kind of touched on it, then leads you to then whenever you're in certain environments with certain people or um, around people that you may have spent time with your whole life, whatever it may be, you start to notice certain things or at least look for certain um, behaviour patterns or in certain circumstances, whether it's you know an argument or whether it's something when someone's anxious or yeah. when they're doing well or whatever it is or around certain people, you start to pick up on certain patterns um, so for someone who's listening who wants to get some more understanding of how they might be um, how they might be having this detachment to like yeah their feelings their feelings whatever um, how is there certain tools or certain processes that people can do to really get this understanding on themselves because I think as you said it's it's all well and good to be able to notice it on other people but if we're the ones that can't even notice it on ourselves yeah. then then we're still going through life pretty much on autopilot getting pushed in the direction that whatever the fuck our yeah. suppressed feelings and whatnot are, are kind of pushing us in. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can try, but these defences are so ingrained. The advice I would give is if you're introspective, uh, and if you're not, try to be, yep. but um, if you're introspective, n- notice, just pay really close attention to when something happens that you think would cause a set of emotions. Just observe like do you get sad for a second and open the fridge and eat like what are you doing do you go take a nap do you like turn your phone off for two days that'll tell you everything you need to know about what you're using to avoid your feelings right but like that sounds so so noticing triggers yeah noticing triggers and then being like what's my what do i do habitually um but the thing is, it's so nuanced. And when I came across this technique, it blew my mind. And, like, I couldn't have broken down those defences without having someone... It, it, the approach is pretty confrontational. Like, um, the guy I worked with, he'd literally, like, interrupt me and be like, you're doing it again. Or, like, why are you laughing when you just said that this horrible thing happened to you? Like, right. it's really, you know, so yeah. it um, it takes a lot of intervention. Mm-hmm. You can definitely make a huge start on your own. Yep. Um, but I think working with someone, like, even if it's a, a friend, getting them to, like, tear those defences down. Right. Yeah. So I know, um, I feel like I've kind of, like, 
repeated this same part um, a few times, and mm-hmm. I, I hope I'm not kind of I hope I'm making sense. But um, so is there like a certain amount of different defense mechanisms that people have? Um, is there like a list of really common ones? Because I feel like if people are able to have an understanding of what they may be looking for. Because if you've yeah. got no fucking idea what you're looking for, then then it's quite hard to find so something, true. isn't it? So it's like, is there a certain list of things that people are able to to at least kind of start becoming more aware of? And I'd love to kind of run through them now, but even also maybe we can have those in the in the show notes as well, um, yeah. potentially, so people can kind of come back to these and actually put some time and effort into breaking them down. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, it's like you can find it in a textbook. Um, so... Let me just start by saying you can Google psychological defences against feelings mm-hmm. or you can Google regressive um, defence mechanisms. Okay. Diversifying, intellectualising, rationalising, disassociation. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, here we go. I'm so glad you kept going with this question. There's projection, mm-hmm. which is like, I'm not crazy, you're crazy, but maybe she actually is crazy. <laughs> you also call that Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's a master of projection. <laughs> yeah. um, and then there's splitting, which is really, again, a, 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 another not very ideal one. I yeah. mean, I'm saying this, but, like, guys, we all have issues and, and I'm speaking yeah. about this very clinically, you yeah. know, um, like we all have <laughs> regressive defence mechanisms. Yeah. But projection and splitting, they're pretty serious because what's happening is um, not only are you do you have an intolerance to your feelings, but you also have um, you're sort of entangling other people in, in how you avoid your feelings. Like it, it starts to become pretty pretty toxic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in t- as in instead of dealing with something properly or processing something properly, you literally just kind of make it someone else's problem to dumb that down as much as possible. Yeah, so I'll give you an example. Say someone's mum did something really, really horrific to them. And because that kid didn't learn to tolerate their feelings, probably due to a failing of, you know, their childhood, um, what they'll do if they're using splitting is they'll say, um, my mum is either all good or all bad because I can't tolerate these mixed feelings of her being loving one day and crazy the next. Mm. So she's either like a demon or an angel. This is really unhealthy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So... Yeah, that that like that's one example. Or um, maybe someone like disorders like borderline personality disorder. Yeah, they might like love their boyfriend or girlfriend for two weeks and then hate them. Um, and that's because they can't tolerate these mixed feelings. And obviously, right. it's a really and that was that was what was splitting. Did you say? That's, yeah, that's like the defense mechanism. Yeah. yeah, and it's also used in like narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I wanted to touch on. Are you able to, like, so narcissism, like, firstly, are you able to kind of explain, like, breaking that down in, t- in terms of, like, what ca- some of the typical type of behaviour patterns are of someone who is, yes. is like that? But I think um, the thing I really wanted to get out of that topic is how to deal with someone like that because mm. I feel like so many people at some point or another have to deal with people like that, whether it's a boss at work, whether it's whatever, maybe in a relationship, a family member, a friend, yeah, whatever. At some point in time, you're going to have to come across that. And I feel like it's something that's quite difficult to deal with yeah. or to at least be able to handle. So, yeah, are you yeah. able to dive into, one, like what the characteristics are of someone who, who may be very narcissistic and then, two, like for someone who is 
confronted by someone like that or spends time with people like that, mm-hmm. how they can um, work through that and, and treat them in a way that's yeah. going to be functional, I guess. For sure. So I'm so glad you asked that because, like, narcissism is like a buzzword. Don't yeah. you? It's like, oh, is he a narcissist? It's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I feel like people who are just, like, uh, to an extent, someone who is just good at what they do and is quite confident now just gets labelled narcissist or whatever or someone who is, you know, proud of what they do or or good at what they do and is willing to at least share their experience all of a sudden gets labelled narcissist. Yeah, Yeah. so you raise a really good point because in narcissism, like, um, a lot of new age spiritual beliefs, which is really popular like yep. i feel like in our generation is like e- the ego's bad there's a healthy ego the healthy ego is the thing that allows you to be like hey like don't punch me right or hey i'm really good at this like thing and that's great and then this is so this is narcissism it is a fundamental split from the self so what happens is there's a wound that causes some kind of catastrophe to a child's nervous system they can't deal with it mm-hmm so they bury their their child self with all these feelings that they don't know how to handle and they develop a psyche or a persona to um, avoid the pain of that existence. Right. And this is where the like pathology really starts. And this will look like, I mean, there's, there's different kinds of narcissism, but fundamentally it'll be difficult time owning up to things that they've done wrong on a mm. really small level. Like they'll... They can't say sorry. They'll find it really hard to say sorry. It'll be like, oh, okay, like just really resistant to yep. any kind of like they'll take it as a humiliation. No responsibility. No responsibility. And then um, they'll have a giant fear of abandonment. So the way they'll deal with that feeling is to employ these defense mechanisms, which will be to control other people if i can control you and make sure you don't leave me i don't have to feel my feelings of abandonment yeah right but it'll it, it's yeah. so kind of kind of productive or kind of yes. or whatever the word is it's like you're literally causing the result that you don't want yeah literally that. and it's all because of you <laughs> pretty much it's so sad yeah and like even when i worked to identify (laughs) my own defenses i was like this is doing the exact opposite of what i wanted it to do um it's pretty cool but so but here's the thing i want to clarify there's narcissists and then there's just people with avoidant attachment or regressive defenses that don't necessarily make them a narcissist but the classic things you'll see is like um difficulty yeah taking responsibility Mm -hmm. for something weird power dynamics um usually they'll be it'll be accompanied by maybe some kind of addiction like whether it's food you know cigarettes alcohol gambling um and then a real um selfishness really but the the biggest thing is that like oh narcissists love themselves no they have deep deep self-loathing and they're very sensitive and that's why they they act the way they do which is why i kind of touched on the how you deal with people like that because I feel like it's super difficult as you just mentioned like super sensitive or whatever because they have this maybe it's a hatred or whether they have this something that they deeply don't like about themselves yeah yet make other people feel is this I'm assuming like the narcissist um is where you know like the saying or the analogy of like you know people who are unhappy or miserable 
yeah. make sure they project that onto other people so that like yeah. they just can't handle seeing other people happy. Yeah, yeah. So how, how do you actually deal with people like that in a way that's actually going to be productive and it doesn't kind of – because if you're – I'm assuming like let's say as you just touched on someone that may be in a relationship or whatever yeah. and if their partner is a narcissist then – the, the other person's life is going to feel super miserable because they're, they're going to be extremely unhappy as well. Yeah. So how are, are people able to deal with people like that? And again, it could be in a work environment, it could be relationship, family, whatever. Um, yeah. How are people able to deal with that so that they can enjoy their life yeah. but then also help the other person in a way? Because I feel like going off what you've just said, it, it almost makes people feel like they, sh- they should, even though like they've probably been treated horrendously mm. they want to help the other person because especially wants to get that understanding of the fact that they're just in pain yeah so you know danny the best way to help them is to not enable them like as long as you enable them they don't have to change um and it's really tempting to fall into like i want i really want to help you but especially with these types of things the best way to help is don't engage in the in the dynamic And, like, for someone who's in a relationship with a narcissist, I'd say, um, and this might be tough to hear, but it's usually your own wound, which is not your fault, that's led you to to tolerate um, or or be attracted to that dynamic. Right. So I would say instead of jumping to, like, point a thousand of jump him and this and that, just start healing your own stuff. And what will happen, and I see this a lot, is they'll naturally become less attracted to the narcissist because the dynamic changes. And the narcissist doesn't want a secure person. They don't want someone that's secure and has boundaries. They lose their spark. Yeah. Um, So that's a good way to go. That's super interesting. In terms of the workplace, Mm. I mean, I don't recommend staying in an environment where someone's very clearly pathological like really seriously, it's so bad for your health. Like if you're working really closely with this person, it's just not worth it, mm. especially if they're your manager. Like, yeah. But if you don't, you know, life is life and it's not always easy. You can't just up and leave. Um, there's a method called um, grey rocking, which is to like act like a rock. <laughs> a grey one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has to be grey. <laughs> can't be blue. And you basically just like don't react and it really weaks the narcissist yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm glad we touched on that. Um, and I feel like you alluded to it a little bit in um, one of those answers there, but something else that you're um, quite passionate about talking about is attachment styles. And I, I, I mean, I guess that kind of leads perfectly from what yeah. we just spoke about in terms of attachment styles. And um, are you able to elaborate on what the attachment styles are and I guess what benefit there is to knowing what yeah, they are, I guess. Absolutely. My favourite. Okay. <laughs> so there's two kinds of attachment styles um, and then there's subcategories. So there's secure and insecure. Insecure attachment then can be broken down into anxious and uh, or avoidant attachment. They say 50% of the population is secure, but I really doubt that. I suspect it's much, much less, which is really sad. Mm. Anxious, and and here's the thing, like, um, again, if you go read about this, like, online or in a magazine, it's not going to be as nuanced and as insightful. Some of the things I read, I'm sure it's well-intentioned, but I'm like, oh, this is so not accurate. Yeah. Um, so, for example... It's all the second-hand information, most of the shit you say yeah. online anyway, yeah. Yeah. 
exactly. So someone might think like, um, I'm born with it. It's just part of my personality. Like, oh, I'm just, it's a fixed thing. And no, absolutely not. Not a part of your personality. Um, It's a response to an environment, Mm -hmm. a development of habits. Like it's a psychological thing that can be changed. And this is the other thing that's interesting. People think that they might stay anxious in all their relationships, but this is really cool. Well, it's also sad, but it's cool. (laughs) Someone with anxious attachment might be avoidant with a different partner because fundamentally their attachment style is insecure. So they're not coming from a solid base, they'll shift. So if an anxiously attached person who's say, let's just say like the the more clingy, afraid of abandonment type, um, if they're with someone that's really present, a secure Mm. partner, it'll probably freak the shit out of them and they'll get the ick or the cringe. I'm sure you've heard of girls say, I got the ick. Often it's because that guy was actually just genuinely nice and they've got insecure attachment and now they're freaked out. If they were with a dismissive, avoidant type of dude, Mm. they'd be anxious. Does that make sense? Really? Yeah, I know. Super interesting. So I would would think that like just naturally, I would think it would be almost be the opposite. Yeah, in what you way? Would, um, oh, I'm, I'm obviously not saying that it's not because you're the expert <laughs> no, here. I'm just okay. saying like what, what no, I, my interested. kind of perception of it would be. Like say if, you know, you've got someone who's super insecure mm-hmm. or like you said, maybe has an anxious attachment style, but then they're with someone or spending time with someone who is not as insecure yeah. and more secure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, would that, I would naturally think that that would make the insecure person even more insecure. Because they're not as worried or they feel probably more worried about the fact that the other person is more secure about, I don't know where I'm trying to go with this. That makes sense? Yeah, so like their security makes them more anxious. Yeah, because they feel like they're not as worried about the other person who is insecure. You're you're definitely onto something. So what I would say by that is um, even if they, you know how I said they can become avoidant? Yeah. The avoidance is still a sign of anxiety. It's mm. just a different way of dealing with it. So right. you're exactly right. Um, they, it's just the mechanism in which they deal with that anxiety right. that's coming from that secure person. And so let's say for the atta- the anxious, anxious attached person, mm-hmm. um, what can like what, what can people do to, to work on that? And as you said, it's the environment and whatnot. Is it a matter of like, all right, if you are with someone who is um, – you know, as you said, get the eek or whatever it is. Like, is it is it just a, is that just a matter of the fact that that dynamic is never going to work? Great question. No, the answer is no. If that was the case, no one would ever stay together ever. Yeah. If you guys have the same values and you're both securely attached, you're going to stay together forever. I'd yeah. say. Yeah. So it's not about um, it's not a fundamental incompatibility. You just have to both be willing to work on being healthy. And, and working towards secure attachment. Yeah. Um, but, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if someone's securely attached, which is, you know, we can't really control that. Like, it comes down to how we were raised. We can change it. Yeah. We can't control, you know, whether we have it or not at the start. If someone's securely attached, they'll be that way with any partner. Does that make sense? Okay. Whereas someone who's in the insecure bracket. Yeah. Um, they'll experience that, like the shift. Different levels. Yeah. So it's not about the um, the partnership. It's about the attachment style. Is that right. yeah, yeah? Yeah. Um. So what can they do to change that? So 
seriously, it's this simple and hard. It comes down to breaking down your resistance to feeling your emotions. So I used to think attachment styles were not related to feeling your emotions. And mm. I used to, I'm a recovering anxiously attached person. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that just sounded like a AA type of thing. <laughs> but um, basically you – like, I yeah, I thought they were different. But th- the mechanism is the same. I um, didn't want to be abandoned – because it would bring up repressed feelings of abandonment. So I was simply avoiding feelings. Right. I just didn't have the tolerance to feel yeah. feelings. If I wasn't scared of abandonment, I wouldn't be anxiously attached because I can feel the feeling of being abandoned. So right. it's, a, it's a fear of the feeling. Does, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're avoiding the feeling mm-hmm. at all costs. So then you bring on different. Correct. Not feeling. Oh, to bring on different feelings or diff- just different uh, yeah. well, mental or. Yeah, well, I don't know yeah. how to put that. Like, exactly. It was just a mechanism of avoiding suffering. Yeah. So, like, staying in a bad relationship because... But that has to cause more problems. Oh, mate. So many more problems. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so, all right, one more bit on that topic. Yeah. So, if you... So, for the... Because um, I know so many people listening to this um, are either in relationships or have been or want to be at some point in time. Mm. So... Someone who, um, going back to the different attachment styles, so what you've got secure and insecure, but yeah. then there's a number of different sub yeah, there's, off there's that, right? Four, yeah, right. Could yeah. you run over those for <laughs> yeah. me? So there's anxiously attached, yep. avoidantly attached, and then there's two subcategories within the avoidant attachment, and that's dismissive avoidant and fearful avoidant. Okay, and just a little fun fact most narcissists will be avoidantly attached and they'll shift between dismissive and fearful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then on the other side, so you securely attached. And that's it. Yeah. And that's Simple. it. Simple. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So if you're with so let's say you've got someone so who is um fuck this to turn into a relationship, right? <laughs> isn't it? If you've got someone who is um who both when but when both kind of like people in the relationship have identified like what yeah. they what type of attachment style they have. Uh-huh. Is there I'm trying to think of how to how to word this. Like, who needs to change? Good question. Okay, the secure partner doesn't really need to, like, work on mm. anything. I mean, everyone has their shit, but, like, yeah, they're yeah, okay, yeah. they're good. Um, maybe, yeah, it's definitely the person with the insecure attachment, but... Because I feel like you see so many people... Yeah. One person in the relationship tries to change to accommodate the other person's... Now, I understand, attachment style. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, uh, I would assume, has to just lead to dif- difficulties or, or again, yeah. coming back to the fact that, like, they're not even, they are spending most of their time within that relationship as, like, living this persona yeah. that's not even their true self. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's why um, anxiously attached and avoidantly attached people pair up a lot mm. because think about it like this, anxious attached people are characterized by poor self-esteem lack of boundaries so what what characteristics are allowing you to stay with a, a, an avoidant person who's dismissive of you they don't put you first like you know they're mm-hmm. more at communicating they don't fulfill your needs an anxiously attached person 
that that's what happens. Um, yeah. And that's why the dating pool shrinks. You've probably heard people say, oh, my God, over 30, like ev- I feel like everyone I meet's crazy. It's because the securely attached people have paired up and they've stayed together. Yeah, Which true. It's so grim. Never thought of it like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was that – did that answer your question? Maybe. I think so because <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but okay, I think it did. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, – let's, before we kind of um, – Get towards the end here. I want to just quickly talk about the the podcast as well. So, how long have you been running that? And I guess what type of content you put on there? Because today, although I feel like we've covered a lot and it's been super valuable, like I'm assuming that's kind of just brushing the, the yeah. sides of like what type of stuff you dive into on yeah, your show. Absolutely. So, I've been doing it for two months now. Mm-hmm. Such a passion project. Like, oh, I'm in love with it. But basically, I cover psychology, a bit of what we've spoken about today, yep. but it is more centered on morality and truth Mm -hmm. um and just briefly the reason i care about truth so much even in this context where we're talking about psychology is that when you can see reality clearly like for what it is what's true it's about truth and and the reason that truth is so powerful is because it it centers us to reality why is reality important because now we know how to solve our problems like in like if you know that easier to make clear decisions Exactly. Like if you know now that you're, if you come to the truth that you're, say, anxiously attached, you actually can work to change your life. But the reality is really hard to accept. So the podcast talks about difficult truths to Mm -hmm. accept. um, And it also addresses things like how, how truth has been really obscured. Like I was in a psychology class last year and they're teaching things like there's no such thing as reality, which I think can be pretty Uh hard. I died and withdrew from yeah. that course. But so I, I'm really big on the truth can transform us yeah. for like these reasons we've discussed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just... We uh, we won't dive into this too much because the episode might not get any traction. <laughs> but um, what has been your view... Again, we won't dive into it too much, but what is, what's been your view on like say the past 12 to 18 or 12 to 24 months in terms of, um, I guess, a very limited amount of like freedom of speech oh, it's with devastating. anything and i'm not saying like for or against yeah. anything or like i'm not even going to give my opinion on any of this stuff but like <laughs> um where do you see that going and i'm assuming that's something that you've been quite frustrated with or, or at least been able to um yeah pick up on it and identify how ridiculous the last kind of two years has become in terms of not being able to voice your opinion on pretty much anything yeah well like, if it doesn't suit what they want yeah the, the whole thing right is um like a a hallmark of anxious attachment or some type of insecure personality is that you want the world to adjust to you again because Mm. you can't tolerate your feeling so instead of empowering people to be okay even when someone like offends you which is not good yeah but instead of empowering it's like i'm gonna um make everyone else manage my state my own feelings and that's what's happening with the restrictions so it's just really damaging psychologically but also the whole therapeutic process like the healing happens when you can say you have to be able to just like speak i'm not advocating for you know things that incite violence but like it's fundamental to our civilization yeah the way i see it going is i i suspect it's going to get worse before Mm. it gets better yeah yeah 
Oh, something to look forward to. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kat, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Um, it's been super interesting conversation. Um, and I'm sure maybe we can jump back on again at some point down the track and dive into some, some more stuff because I feel like there's a lot to digest from yeah. today. But, um, yeah, maybe we'll try and get a couple of things that we can add into the show notes as well for people to revisit some of these things and at least try and identify within themselves. And um, as you touched on, like if you can really – break down their barriers or whatever or at least identify and understand the things that need to be worked on then you can start to make progress because without that without that you just yeah fucking guessing pretty much so (laughs) um yeah thanks so much for coming on and we'll have the link to cat's show in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to go and check it out for themselves um but yeah thanks for joining us thanks danny pleasure and for everyone who has listened if you've enjoyed this episode we would, uh, we would love for you to take a screenshot of this one, share it on your Instagram story, tag myself, tag Kat. I'll have the link to her socials as well. Um, and look forward to chatting to you guys again in the next episode.